Then I will go to Second Samuel chapter 1 and read verses 19 21. And the final reading will be in the division 141 of Psalms. Notice what the scripture said in Second Samuel 12 and 1 through 7. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, and it did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. There came a traveler. Everybody say traveler. There came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man. There was coming to him that took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said unto him, David, you're the guy. You're the man. Over in 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 19. Simply says, the beauty of Israel is slain upon the high places. How are the mighty fallen? But don't tell it in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Then I go into the book of Psalms, 141 verses 1 through 4. Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, and give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Notice, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips, incline not my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men who work with iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. Lord, set a watch at the door of my mouth. Keep the door of my lips, and incline my heart to evil. That coupled with the traveler and the thought of the mighty falling, I want to use for a subject today, beware of the stranger. Beware 
of the stranger. God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Not so many years ago, because I'm not all that old, I'm just a little older than Brother Travis. Just a little. But I remember when in the city in which I live, we moved there when I was one year old, 19 and 28, the church was founded that spring, the church that I am pastoring. And I remember growing up in Houston, and there was no air conditioning at our house. We, uh, we lived on very meager fare through the 30s and I was old enough then to understand a little I remember my dad going north of the city about 30 miles and preaching every Saturday night we hung lanterns on the side of the tree and he stood on the porch of the schoolhouse and those old farmers there was nothing to there was no money there was no money to be received. And uh, I can remember that they brought to us uh, cured meat, a slab of bacon. And they would give us potatoes. And there was about three or four families in our church at that time. Not one man had a job. I won't ever forget the day that I used to walk down to the drugstore when I was a little boy and the bank was right there across the street from the drugstore. I won't ever forget the day that I walked over there and the bank had boards over the window, boards over the door, and the throng and the crowd, the crowd covered Washington Avenue. And the bank had failed, had gone down and and uh, the depression was at its at its hardest. Uh, those uh, those days I will never forget. And I remember my dad taking this side of meat and or whatever they gave us, and he would separate it in the same number of piles as it is as it was the families in our church. He would take them that meat and potatoes. And we uh, we all had the same thing for dinner that Sunday. The price that's been paid for where I am and the things I have makes me such a dare. Will I ever get it paid for? 
I also remember about those times that uh, I I slept with a window raised. The uh, the door was unlatched, and nothing between me and the uh, the outside but a screen. And I was not afraid. I never thought of locking a door. We never locked doors when we left to go to church. We never done any of those things. And I also remember living in that same house. My sister married and and she and her husband was living with us and and uh, they were in the front bedroom and my sister opened her eyes and looked out the window and there was a man standing looking in the window and things had progressed in Houston tremendously my sister told uh, my brother-in-law punched my sister with his elbow and and uh, she knew that a man was there and Jimmy said to her Rachel hand me my gun and she answered him crazy you ain't got no gun uh, you know those days are are days that I, 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 I think about but when I left home to come to this camp meeting we have storm windows outside the regular windows uh, they're fastened they're the kind of glass that you can't break I have a system in my home that when I leave I punch in numbers to that system and when I close the door I lock the knob there is a deadbolt that the key turns and puts it in the door I have uh, told my wife, don't ever open the front door until you can identify and know who is at the door, because you never know what a stranger is doing. Suddenly, Sister Foss and I are senior citizens, and uh, there is an alarming thing going on about the elderly if the public knows or thinks you have anything you're an easy target and so you know that's what they think and uh, you have to be very very careful you're not as uh, agile as you used to be you can't do the things you used to do therefore when I walk out of the church that I pastor, I look to see if there's any strange things going on. There are armed men that's in every service that we have. And you say, why, Brother Foss? Why? Because it's the nature of the society that I live in. Before I get home, and we're 
going to build a new home, the Lord willing. Before I get home at night, I watch to see if anybody is following me. If there is a car that turns into the subdivision I live in, off of the freeway, and he comes in, he comes down to my street, and he turns on the street I live on, I just drive on past my house. Oh, Brother Foss, are you scared? No, I'm careful. You know, uh, I have, uh, well, you don't need to know what I have, really, but I have adequate protection at my house. I have a safe that's got everything in it that a man could ever want as far as firearms are concerned. Right by my bedside, there's uh, uh, weapons that stay there all the time. But who would want to injure a fellow man? Wouldn't it be terrible if I pulled that 357 out of the drawer right by my head and killed a man? I'm a preacher. But wouldn't it be terrible if I let him come in and rape my wife and ravage my home do that? Therefore, I have took every precaution they've offered us. Hey, Texas is going back to the Old West. They have offered us uh, the uh, permits that we can carry sidearms, concealed weapons in our town. The highway patrol that's in my church, he is a lieutenant with the Texas Department of Public Safety. He said, I'll have your permit for you, Brother Foss, just in a few days. So when I come back to Mississippi, if I ever do, I'll have on a pair of six shooters. But the reason that we, uh, the reason that we're that away, I got out of my car a while ago here in Mississippi, and I know that that's not necessary, but I automatically pushed the button on a little thing that's on my key, and my lights on the inside come on, my tail lights flash, and now there's a blinking signal on my dash. What do you do that for? Because of the stranger. I've told my wife, if somebody bumps you from the rear in the car, just drive off. Don't stay there. Because it may be a ploy to get you out of the car. And the car is insured. Honey, I can replace the car, but I'd never be able to replace you. We, we are constantly guarding ourselves against a stranger. We will not let him in. We do not allow him to come in the house. And we, we don't uh, uh, allow him to come through our doors. And in our city, they've got to wear that about 3 o'clock in the morning, they, two or three of them will hit the door at one time. Now, I know you don't want to move to Houston, but if you live there, you kind of move with the climate, you know. And... Uh, 
they they crash into your house, and then's when they do all their damage. Uh, we we don't want strangers to come in, but yet I want to talk to you about your spiritual house. Is there any precautions at all that keeps you from letting unwanted guests? into your spiritual house. Do you ever stop to think when something knocks at your heart's door? Twenty years ago you couldn't find a door with a little thing in it. But all of our front doors now almost have something you can look out and it, it expands your vision and you can see who's at the door. You ask, who are you? What do you want? And you don't open that door until you know something about it. Is it possible that we have no precaution with our spiritual house? That whatever comes, wherever it comes from, Whatever it looks like, we allow it to come in and we thrash over it in our mind and in our soul. The only way things can get in your heart, now hear me, is by what you see, what you hear, or what you talk about. Your spiritual That we've never done before. Brother Foss, you, you really, you've come over here and you've preached to us like we're, uh, you know, maybe we're not all doing right. Well, honey, I've got news for you. You're not all doing right. I hated to burst your balloon, but everybody that's here and everybody that dances and everybody that runs and everybody that shouts is not going to heaven. And some that don't shout and some that don't run is going to make it even though some of us don't think they are. Okay? Oh, I don't know whether I'll say this or not. No, I better not. But I think I will. But on second thoughts, maybe I shouldn't. I'll save it till Friday. I've already told the superintendent I'm leaving as soon as I get these preaching Friday. We have preached to our ladies. They take it on the chin everywhere they go. Boy, the way you dress, the way you look, the what you do, how you do your hair. And I covered it pretty well yesterday. And, uh, you know, I, uh, we need to be reminded of that. But it's not just the ladies anymore. We men folks are doing things that shocks me. 
I wish I had a walking mic, but I haven't got it, so I'll stay right here. I'll just turn and look. I'll look before I say anything. You know, it's wonderful to be a senior citizen. Great. Salt and pepper. Every hair is in place. I got it right, honey. I'm looking at it. Should I say it? I will a little bit. Right now, I'm kind of feeling my way around. We would absolutely, I would absolutely faint if my wife bleached her hair or dyed it red. What's the difference of her dyeing her red than me dyeing mine blue? Get over. I wanted to look this this uh, platform over before I said very much about it. And you know, the Bible talked about the beauty of of the good looks of the gray hair in a man, but it didn't say anything about the good looks of the blue hair. It didn't say anything about. Uh, About no hair either. You know, uh, the way we live, the things that we're able to buy, the things that God gives to us, a lot of time regulates and generates a lot of things. You know, my dad. But Travis, he never owned a pair of shoes that cost what these shoes I've got on cost. He never owned a jacket that cost what that jacket cost. I've never seen my dad with a matching tie and a handkerchief in the pocket of his coat. And my wife thinks so much of me, every time she buys a tie, she gets the handkerchief to match. And she's sure that I've got it on. There was a time that we were doing good to even buy a tie. But we, we, we change. I want you to look at the men. We talk about fads. Look at this tie here. Look at this tie here. Look at this one here. Look at this one. But right now the fad is changing. The ties has got little diamonds going across them. And they've got little, uh, they've got little designs that go, church give you that? Wear it. In Jesus' name, wear it. And, uh, but, you know, we follow, we follow the trend. Looky here. Looky here. You see the white spots on the end of these? Oh my God, looky here. 
I have in my hand about, uh, let's see, about 22% of the 3500 that you needed to raise for foreign missions. Whoa! Brother Foss, watch out! Now, which one is yours? <laughs> there you are, Brother Travis. There you are, my friend. There's yours. Mine's special. What color is that? It's not black. Well, you know better off than I am. I'm colored blind. But, you know, uh, this was given to me by the, the youth department because I gave a certain amount in, in Sheets for Christ. I have three of them that's locked in a safe. But you would have never seen my dad with a pen in his lapel that would cost him a hundred dollar bill. It's time for lunch, or do you want me to preach? The things that we could not afford never bothered us a few years ago. But now we can afford almost anything. that God has given us has allowed us to be careless about stewardship. Careless. Uh, hey, I'm, I'm talking to Brother Foss too. I spend probably, uh, hey, I better not say it. But I probably spend hunting every year enough to have took all 3,500 of this missionary money. How many of you have got bass boats in the garage? Hey, don't feel bad. I got one. But this affluence... The devil could not do anything with us when we didn't have anything because we had to pray. We had to get a hold of God. We had to do something. Uh, you, you can't hardly pray through a couple today that makes the kind of material that's been in these churches that's supporting you for 25 or 30 years. It's difficult to establish people today. It's difficult to bring them in and create and weave the fiber in their life that makes the old saint what they are. 
Brother Foss, what's causing it? Because we don't have to trust God. I have not even said a word to the Lord today about what I'm going to eat. I had such a beautiful meal last night at Brother Kraft's home. And there was food enough for uh, that many more people that was there. And I can remember the day when we sat down to a table that everything was given out in portions because there was not enough money to put all of the extras on the table. You see, I preached when I didn't have the money to even buy milk for my babies. I've preached when I had cardboard in the soles of my shoes. I've preached when I didn't have a suit that wasn't patched in the rear. And oh, today I wouldn't think about it. Why? Because I don't have to worry. Brother Travis, I prayed today, God, if it's going to cost me my soul, take it away from me. Take all of it. Don't leave it there. But have I waited so long that I've let a stranger come in? And that stranger has been living in my guest room. And that stranger all the time is taking away from me what God has given to me. And I'm not aware of what's going on. Follow me here. David. David. Where did your sin start? What happened to you? Nathan said a traveler came. And you let the traveler in. Without asking any questions. Church, you know the story. I can't, uh, I'm not going into the details of that story. But you know the story. How that he took another man's wife. Where was he at? When that took place in his heart. David was standing on a balcony. And it was there that David said, he give you a revelation of the firmament. And he Lord's permanent. And he looked at the Milky Way and he talked about God and how big he was and where he was. 
David's revelation was, There you are, God, if I take the wings of the morning and I fly into the uttermost parts of the sea, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. God, no matter where I go, you're too broad, you're too wide, you're too long, I can't get away from you. On that balcony, he give God glory and God praise. But there it was, he looked over his kingdom. He had everything, the greatest king. They were saying about him, Saul, his thousands, but David, his ten thousands. From that balcony... Of success. David stood there. And saw Bathsheba. Taking a bath. The same balcony. The same success. In the same blessing. Everything was well. And he saw her. David. Before you let that come in, why don't you look out the door and see what it's going to be? It's just a traveler. Don't let him in. But he's hungry. Don't let him in, David. And David, the first day, he withstood the initial shock of what he saw. But the next day at the same time, he was back out on the balcony. Hey friend, you know what I'm saying to you. You know what I'm preaching to you today. That when he let the stranger in, the stranger brought with him a compromise. It said it won't be wrong for you to do what you're going to do, David. You're the king. Preacher, hear me. It's a terrible thing for God to take your throne away from you. David, watch that stranger. It dominated him. He could not get away from it. Have we let little things come into us that used to be wrong? And they're not wrong anymore. Because... We don't really pray. When you pray, you become sensitive. When you sensitize yourself, you understand what's going on. The only time we pray is in a time of crises. The only time we pray is when we're in the presence of others. Thank you, Superintendent Travis. Thank you for telling me about getting alone with God driving down a freeway. But isn't it strange? Oh, how many times have I sit at the car and going up and down the freeways of our city, our state, and our nation. Here I am with tears running down my face and dripping off of my chin. But dear God, dear God, what's the matter with me? Why do I have to wait till I'm in a place where I've got to keep my mind on everything that's going on? Uh, I'm, I'm dividing my attention with God. But the day that I had nothing, the day that I had nothing of this world's goods, the day that I didn't own a house, the day that I lived in a little old parsonage that Sister Lambert's mother and daddy lived in. Imitation brick siding. Tent on the roof. 
I could see the ground sitting at the dining table. I could see the hogs that come out of the woods at night and slept under my house. I had to fight fleas constantly. At that time, I had time to pray. But today, I've got to divide my attention with God Almighty with something else. I don't have the time to pray, but I've always got the time to pick up my fishing rod and go fishing. Nobody loves it more than I do. I don't have the time to give to God, but I can always find a day or two to take off and go into the hills of West Texas and spend two or three days out there just having a good time. There was a time I didn't have the money to do that. I couldn't do that. But my affluence has caused me to allow things to come in. And God's been working my motor over, friend. I've made some promises to Him before I come to this camp. God, if you'll give me the grace, I'm going to get back to where I used to. I'm going to get back to where you want me to be. Hey, church, wake up! Wake up! God is not going to overlook our affluence to let us do the way we want to do! With your success. Has your insatiable desire to reach the crowds caused you to temper your message? You know, I I didn't preach any different yesterday than I always preach. But a young woman, she's a musical director, I don't know where. I don't even know her name. But she walked up to me crying over here. And she said, oh God. said, I want to thank you for saying what you said. I've been praying that God would let some of our older men once more tell us and say it. Not preach around it. But tell us what we need to hear. Hey, we're becoming masters at, at clouding the issue. We're masters at preaching around what we know. But the day's coming that we're going to have to get just as plain as Brother Jerry Jones got here last night with Acts 2.38 and repentance. We're going to have to wake up and go back to God and find the place that God wants us to be in where we can go to Him and tell Him, God, I know I've got a stranger, but if you'll help me, I'll get that stranger out of my heart. Has it caused us to allow it to change the way we stand in the presence of God? I promise you, Brother Travis, you may never want me to come back.
what I'm going to preach today. Our affluence has allowed us to have computers in our home. You wouldn't think of having a television, but you'll play Nintendo and a whole lot more. And if you get on the Internet, it's going to be worse than you ever thought it would be. But hear what I'm telling you. I want to ask you a question. Can I sit by you? I know I could. Did you spend as much time praying over the last message you preached as you spent at the computer? We've got a consortium in our state. They wanted me to join it. I said, not me. Uh, uh, what's the matter, Brother Foss? I said, I'm just too old-fashioned. All I have to do is to make ten copies of what I preach Sunday morning and Sunday night and mail them to ten men. And I would in turn get a copy from each of those men of what they preached Sunday morning and Sunday night. And then I'll get up in the pulpit and tell God and tell you, God gave me this. And God wasn't in a thousand miles of where it come from. It's not wrong to have notes. We all have notes. I've got notes in front of me. My Bible's full of notes. But friend, when I've got to read what I preach, stay with me now. First, reading a message does not give a chance to unction, anointing, and the Holy Ghost. I've got my dad's notes. I've got every one that he's ever preached in there. He's got it listed where he preached it, when he preached it, and everything. It's all there. But it's just a scant skeleton of a note. There was a time that our old-time preachers didn't even use a note. I remember the day when we didn't even wear neckties. Hey, I'm not, a, I'm not a newcomer in this thing. But has the affluence that God has granted me changed me? A lot of times you get up with scant notes or you get up with just a scripture. Hey, try it sometimes. It may fool you. God will quicken to your mind and bring to your memory. Something that you'll never get out of a computer. Something that'll never come from a typewritten page. But God will anoint you. It's called the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You heard Brother Farina preach about the anointing oil today. My God, how long has it been since you felt the Lord pour that anointing oil over you and you was preaching? 
I'm sorry. I won't be through for a little while yet. I long to feel the power of God so strong that I can't do anything. That I just stand still to watch it. We prayed a boy out of Satan worship. Prayed him through to the Holy Ghost. And uh, another guy come in and and our, uh, the girl that uh, was singing leading the choir. She had sung the song many times. All of a sudden her mind went blank. And she couldn't. She couldn't do anything. I, uh, and her husband was directing the choir. And she said, Stan, what's the words? I don't remember them. And he told her the words. And she began singing again. And then I got up to preach. And, and this guy was sitting in the back of the church. Well, I know you don't believe this kind of stuff, but that doesn't matter. That don't matter. You don't believe hell's hot either. You don't believe Jesus is coming soon either. If you did, you'd be doing something about it. I uh, I got up to preach, and, and I noticed this guy staring at me. And he sat in the back left-hand corner of the church. And, and uh, I had such a struggle. I, I read my text, and, and I couldn't get into anything. And I didn't know what was happening. And I, I was struggling, and, and I had read out of the book of Ezekiel, and, and I thought, oh God, what, what's wrong with me? And all of a sudden, I felt it, just like you poured this water all down over me, and, and it became a blaze of fire in my bones, and I felt like I would literally explode if I didn't preach what God had given me, and, and here it was happening. And when I started preaching, and I felt the anointing, David jumped up over here and, and he started dancing. Hey, i never seen a man dance any harder or any stronger than he did. He danced mightily. And after it was over and I was standing in the pulpit, he said, Brother Foss, did you see what I saw? I said, no, David, I didn't see anything. He said, you were, you were struggling to preach. And he said, suddenly an angel stood by you. And he said, I saw him. He took something and wiped it across your mouth. And when he did, that's when you begin to preach under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Oh, friend. Oh, friend. I want God to always stand there and touch me with that divine anointing of the Holy Ghost. And the Satan worshiper that was in church, he came to the altar and prayed. And a little bit he got up, dressed in black, long black hair. You could see the very devil all over him. He said, I don't know what to think about you. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, the girl that was singing in the choir, I took from her memory. The words of that song. I was going to take your message away from you. But you were standing in a ring of fire. And I could not get through it. I'm telling you church. There is a ring of fire. That we can.
can get in, that God can take care of us, and nothing can go wrong. But oh God, help us, help us, help us, help us. Have I let a stranger come in and be my bedfellow? Have I catered to him? Has a man's tithing amount influenced me? My insatiable desire for pleasure as it took hold of me so strong that I don't have the time to devote to God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I've got to tell you. If the Pentecostal church changes in the next ten years as it much as it has in the last ten, if it's do if it does that, oh Sister Travis, my little granddaughter that's only a year old, will not know Pentecost as I know it. Will not know anything about God like I know it. Because somewhere our affluence has got God on the sideshow. God's not the main event. The main event is a performance. But oh God, take the performance out of our choir. Let God put a ring of fire around the singers in that choir. Let God put a ring of fire around these microphones. Let these instruments be anointed. Because we're dealing with the souls of men that's hanging between heaven and hell. God, I ask you to hold that message for just a moment. Don't let what you're doing in the heart of this people be drawn away by anything. Hold it for just a moment, God. Church, if you ever ask God to touch you, bow your head. Pastor, if you ever ask God to be near you, talk to Him about it.
I hope that tonight when Brother Jones comes to this pulpit, that there's a ring of fire here to where he would be caught up into the third heaven as he preached to us. But not only would it do that, but that fire would go out over the radio waves in this tabernacle tonight. But church somewhere, we've got to align ourselves with the priorities that God has given to us. He hasn't changed. He hasn't changed at all. The change is coming from you and me. We've got everything in the world we want. And we don't have to talk to God about anything. Want a new suit? Go buy it. Want a new car? Go get it. You want a new house? Go find it. Oh, but somewhere, can you find a new expression? Can you find a new experience? Can you find a new place in God that everything will become fresh again? Has your sermons become stale? Have they become old? Do you need something new? I'm telling you, go back to the fountain. Go back to the fountain. You don't have to be poor. He's not against you being blessed. But don't let that blessing be a curse to you. Beware of the stranger. Struggling man, struggling preacher, struggling saint, go back to the old paths. Don't remove the ancient landmarks. Don't take down the boundaries that God has put there. A mighty flowing river that flows with torrential power that can generate generators that can light every light in this place only becomes a stagnant swamp when it gets to where there is no boundaries. God help us. I'm sorry, I'm ten minutes over. I'm not through, but I'm going to close. But I've given you my heart today. I could tell you a fairy tale about blessings. I talked to Brother Travis about it yesterday, but Brother Travis, I reminded God again this morning, don't let it happen, God. If it's going to take away from me what belongs to me. I look back at the things I've heard preached by my dad. Oh, and I'll close with this. I never will forget his last message. I tried to get him. I said, Daddy, why don't you go on and retire? I've been here 20 years now, and you, you, you don't need to worry with this church. And your income is not tampered with. Why don't you go on to your lake house and stay there? But something about him. You know, here's the difference in him and me. I can't hardly wait to the time. That I can, you know, I say, well, man, when the time comes, I'll go. I'm going to go and I'm not going to worry about it. But I found myself praying, God, as long as I can be anything. He was unable to preach, but he said, I want to preach one more time. God gave me a message and I want to preach it. I said, okay, daddy, all right. Do you want to preach it Sunday morning? He said, yes, I'll preach it Sunday morning. And he got up and he told the church and it broke my heart. He said, this is the last sermon I'll ever be able to preach to you. And he knew that he wasn't physically able to preach. He knew that. And he got up like a statesman and 
read his text. And as he read his text, he announced his subject. And he said, now I pass the mantle to my son. And he's going to preach my final message to this church. And he handed me his notes. I felt like I took the mantle of a prophet. No doubt Elisha felt that way. When he got the mantle in his hand, he walked to the water. And he drew the mantle back and he slapped the water. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? When I picked up those notes and for the first time I looked at them, I said, oh God, where is the anointing of this old pioneer? And I felt like God poured a bucket full of heaven all over me as I preached the final message of the founder of that church to Bethel Tabernacle. I'm telling you, there is a pool. There is a pool. There is a pool. Maybe it's up the next valley. Maybe it's over the next hill. But the water is sweet. The water is beautiful. And it's sparkling. Saint of God. Pastor, evangelist, sinner, when you get to that pool, don't just lap water like a dog. Bury your face in it. Because therein is the anointing of God. Beware of the stranger that says it's not necessary. Beware of the stranger that says you don't have to pray. Don't let him in. When he knocks at your prayer time, skip it today. When they've announced prayer meeting at church and he tells you you got too much to do, pick it up. But most of all, I feel led to tell you preachers this. There is an abundant supply if you'll go to it. It's not on IBM. It's not on Compaq. You won't find it on Apple, but you'll find it on your knees with this old book open in front of you. There is an abundant supply. Beware of the stranger. I give you this message signed by Jesus Christ with His love.